Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. John Wall, partner at Trust Insights. Thanks for joining us for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and Trust Insights. Sure. At Trust Insights, we light up dark data. Uh, We're data scientists, have all been in marketing for uh, longer than we care to admit. Um, And the whole idea is that we go into our customers, uh, look at the data sets they've got and help them get to more actionable data. You know, so many companies have data stores that they just either don't know what to do with or can't even get to it because they don't have the integrations. And so we help them kind of get to the bottom of that and actually be able to take action. Um, do you see any differences between how B2Cs and B2Bs use your service? Um, you know, B2C tends to have a lot more data. Um, B2B tends to be a lot m- more focused. And, and a lot of times, even for B2B, they don't even have enough data to do kind of the most exciting stuff. You know, a lot of the great machine learning things that you can do. You just need mountains and mountains of data. And a lot of B2B companies don't have that. But that's really way out on the fringe for most you know, B2B or B2C, when we get in there and kind of look under the hood, they already have so many integration problems and don't have a, you know, a fixed um, understanding of the data and have it cataloged so that they can do stuff with it. So pretty much everybody just needs to be brought up to speed in getting their data to a point where they can just do something with it. Um, so, yeah, in general, they tend to be mostly the same because everybody's got the same headaches. Um, once it's up and running, though, the, the B2C folks usually you know tend to have more uh, piles of data to dig through. So big picture, without getting into the specifics, why would someone look at their data? What's the value? Yeah, the, you know, a lot of times for us, the most common approach is marketers that are just running all these programs and it's generating all kinds of data as far as, you know, who downloaded this stuff and who's been digging around on the website and who's been asking for pricing. But you can't get to the the bottom of the well of, okay, which programs are the ones that are most successful? You know, what should we be doing more of to get more leads and more deals? Um, and then the other part of it is being able to put this data to work to see what's going on out in the rest of the world. You know, what tr- what terms are trending at what times so that you can time your content and your advertising to take advantage of it. So uh, that's those are really the kind of the big two things, being able to find more money in your own internal data stores and then find more money in external data that you can use to enhance and give you a better understanding of what's going on. And at a high level, what is the process by which you would help uh, a marketing group determine <clears throat> what's working, what's not? Yeah, for when we come in, um, you know, just to kind of get up and running, the, the most simplest way is just look at their customer funnel, you know, or digital customer journey or whatever they've been calling it, and just start there running reports against, okay, when, you know, we track these people as they go through, what are the checkpoints and how are they doing? And usually, you know, more than eight times out of 10, that's where it stops right there. You know, we see that, okay, we're not able to 
get an accurate accurate picture of what's going on because either you know these campaigns are missing altogether or something's broken and data is not getting across here or there. So it, it's basically start small around the customer's path and then you know work out from there to figure out which campaigns are the best and need to be amped up. But uh, yeah, you just kind of start with getting the customer over the goal line. And what is what are the shortcomings? of not having troves and troves of data? Well, you know, you get to a, a point where you're just kind of going by your gut. You know, you, you would have to take and say, okay, well, here's three possible marketing campaigns we can try. Let's just, you know, pick one and do it. And, of course, the, you know, the odds are pretty much against you unless you have some kind of data showing you what's worked in the past. Um, so, you know, the more data you have, the more informed decisions you can make and just maximize your odds. Um, but yeah, you know, every entrepreneur does have to start off with just, uh, you know, kind of throw something out there and see what happens and pray it's, it gets the job done. Do you, uh, remember the legend of John Henry? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, steam, steam pounding man. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> a great analogy because that is, you, you just, if you can put automated tools to work, you can cover so much more ground and dig through. And especially that's where machine learning is the big win for us. It's, you know, it would take a human months or years to dig through data that a good model can churn through in 20 minutes. Um, so yeah, there's there, a human can't compete with uh, some of the, the points where if you've got enough data, you can just put the machine to work. So, so the, the, I guess the, um, the, the takeaway from the, the, the John Henry story is, you know, this guy's physical strength is tested against a race with a steam-powered rock drilling machine, and he wins the race, but he dies hammer in hand. And so his stubborn <laughs> small-mindedness kills him, and his resistance to technology adoption is kind of the same short-range thinking that, that you know, hampers growth at companies today. Yeah, absolutely. And let's, you know, he only got to do the one campaign. I mean, the day doesn't end after you've, you know, taken care of business for that one day. You've got to come back tomorrow and do it again. Um, and, you know, he's not able to do that. So, yeah, it, it does, you know, it's a whole different skill set. I think that's the thing that plagues so many organizations is just, you know, we've done it this way for so long. Uh, bringing in a machine to do that that's going to do it in a different way is a whole new uh, way of doing business, and some organizations have the the guts to experiment and try that, and others don't. Well, j just to close the loop on on the John Henry story, you know, the the takeaway is that technology outperforms manual work. You know, automation is going to outperform manual labor. So uh, the takeaway is tech is better. But you know, if you think about you know the difference between B two C and B two B. Right, the B2C guys have more data than B2B. But the interesting thing, and, and, and I guess, you know, the B2C guys are sort of setting buyer expectations for, you know, what B2B buyers want, you know, a.k.a. if Amazon knows what I want to buy and Netflix knows what I want to watch, then you, B2B seller, should be able to know what my business needs are, but at the same time, you know, the B2Bs don't have as much data to work with. And, and, at the, and at the same time, B2B sales are happening on Amazon as well, moving more there every day. They're happening on Alibaba, right? So I guess, 
you know, is this an uh, unsustainable, unfair advantage that these guys have? Are they eventually going to inherit the mantle no matter what we do, even if we do get smarter with how we use our data today because we small B2Bs can never compete with B2Cs and, you know, ultimately they're going to inherit the e-commerce mantle? Um, I don't think so. I mean, one thing that happens in a lot of B2B is that the product is, is never uniform. You know, in B2C, it's, you know, the, the can of soda you get is no different wherever in the world you are. I mean, there may be, you know, pockets here or there where it's a little different, but you're pretty much buying the same thing. Whereas so many B2B things, there's human elements still in it after the purchase, you know, whether it's support for the product or once it's bought, getting it integrated and so that it works right within that environment. So there's a lot of hand-holding after the fact. But you do see the sales process getting commandeered. You know, you see like sites like Captera or whatever are becoming the sales process. You know, they've got the data and the reviews to be able to say that, yeah, if you're looking for this type of solution, um, here's the vendor you go talk to. And so you end up just going straight to the vendor and saying, hey, we know that, you know, you do what we need to do and that, you know, this is what the price point should be. And it's changed forever. But I think, you know, a lot of the B to C companies don't want to get into that model of having to do a ton of post sale support and, you know, making everything custom. That's just, they're, they're looking to move millions. And if they have to fight at the margin, that's fine, but they want to uh, get a completely repeatable process. Well, the promise of closed, closed loop reporting, where I can attribute everything I do from a marketing standpoint to the bottom line is exciting. But if there's, if there's gaps uh, in the data, you know, how do I, how do I learn the complexity of my B2B buyer journey? Yeah, that's, a, I mean, that's something that like five years ago was still even considered like this might be impossible. And now we're a lot closer, but it's definitely still not perfect. I think you know, the, the greatest gains in that are when you look at an analytic system where Google's able to attach a single ID and maybe you're not able to make that personal, you know, have no personally identifiable info, but you are at least able to say, okay, this is, you know, the same user that came to us on the phone was at their desktop on this day. And then they came in through, you know, another channel later on down the line. So we get the ability to get it in better and better focus as time goes on, but there are still a lot of gaps. And then the, the other big one is, you know, trying to get them uh, in your own internal data set as fast as you can. You know, if you can get them as a lead within your CRM system, so now that you can see when they're banging around on your website and when they're opening your emails, at that point, you've got a pretty clear picture of what's going on. But yeah, every organization is still kind of struggling with the well, okay, they came in from this webinar, but how did they find out about the webinar? And if that webinar was run by a third party, now it's going to be a little bit tough to figure out where, where things have come. But it's at least well, getting better. It's funny. You know, you, you think about opening emails. I mean, we for so many years, we thought opening an email is a good measure. Responding to an email is a good measure. But, I mean, if people are responding to say, stop sending me this crap, you know, it's not a good measure. So, you know, we it's easy to be confused between correlation and causation. You know, how can you somehow, uh, you know, um, fill that gap with machine learning and analytics? I mean, are you doing that? Are there any specific examples you can give me? You know, on that front, well, there's two parts of it. I mean, you definitely have to have 
and, and it gets kind of ugly as you scale, but it, this is where it's easier for B2B. At some point, you do have to review the closed deal and go back and make sure that the data is clean. And just like you said, well, that open there, was that an unsubscribe or was that a click through to you know sign up for the next thing? And so the data has got to be clean. But then we, you know, we are able to, we have a, a number of customers that we've run attribution models where we're not just looking at the pile of closed deals. We go and just look at all the traffic. And the machine learning model then is able to dive in and look at every time a single campaign showed up, whether it was a win or a loss or one that's you know just still open. And you're able to get a much better picture of which campaigns are working and which ones are necessary to the sales cycle. Like a lot of times you'll see campaigns where, yeah, just everybody downloads this white paper and it really doesn't make a difference you know, the the um, the numbers don't hold and you need to test to see if it actually makes a difference because sometimes you're just giving away free resources that are kind of chumming up the works um, versus being able to take a look at, okay, you know, 80% of the people that go through this training session or do this webinar uh, actually end up becoming closed deals and then you can identify the stuff that's most valuable for you. Um, and yeah, that, we do a lot of that kind of pipeline analysis and attribution analysis. That's pretty common. This is the first in a three-part series with John Wall, partner at uh, Trust Insights, and in the next episode, we're going to talk about um, overcoming uh, and exceeding uh, buyer expectations uh, with uh, data analytics. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you. John, thanks for joining us for this uh, second episode. Um, we're going to dive a little deeper now into this idea of sort of transforming reps into subject matter experts. So 70% of B2B buyers wait um, until after they have a defined need before they engage a salesperson, right? And by that time, most buyers have established a preference with a vendor that's been willing to sort of get them up to speed before they had budget, before they had a need. Is there a way that you can use data to figure out when the best time to engage a prospective customer is. Yeah, there definitely is. A, there's a number of ways to to do that. I mean, the most common one is just setting up gateways. You know, you've got certain resources that you know when somebody is requesting certain content that it's time to engage and at least to go. And then, you know, the classic B2B one is always demo or pricing requests. You know, as soon as those come in, you've got to engage because it's like you just said, it's pretty much too late. They've already decided on a vendor and decided on a project. Most of the work is done. Um, you know, what we try to do is to go even get in front of that and be putting out content and resources that, customers want and so they self-identify as being in involved in the buying process. So uh, a good example, we work with a company that is in food manufacturing and they come up with a lot of alternative ingredients that end up getting used in end products. And so we were able to run some content analysis and find out that oat milk and hemp milk are products that you know would be trending here in uh, 2019 and into 2020, and that allows them to get in front of the demand and, and go ahead and publish content about what are you looking for in oat milk, what are you looking for in hemp milk, and so that when people are doing that, even the initial research, they're already coming to the, their website to, to get that information, and they get tagged earlier in the cycle than just when they're out looking for pricing and beating on vendors. So 
account-based marketing is, is kind of the hot thing in B2B right now. You know, this idea that, you know, if you're selling to a finite customer base, uh, you know, where the top of the funnel is limited, uh, you really can't afford to kick anyone to the curb because, well, they may not have budget today or they may not have a need today. Um, when they do, you want to make sure that you've developed a relationship with, relationship with them early and often. But, you know, what, what sort of I think is confusing in practice um, if you overlay the concept of the ideal customer profile, right, this idea that the, the company has figured out who they want to do business with, who their best customers are, and when that, you know, pricing request or that demo request co comes in, it often goes to inside sales first to qualify, and they're qualifying against, you know, whatever the criteria may be, two or three benchmarks. And let's say, for example, you have a need, you want the product, but you're not on the ideal customer profile, right? How should sales deal with interested prospects that are outside the ICP? Yeah, you, you kind of have to put a lot of cycles against that to figure out how you want to work. But for account-based management in that front, I mean, you want to have it set up so that anything that comes in from the domain that's on that watch list you just automatically goes right to the rep that's assigned to that account. Like you want to just completely jump over the uh, inside sales rep or the DSR or whoever you've got that's kind of doing some qualifying. Because if you've got somebody that matches any kind of profile, and to be honest, even if they don't, you you probably just want to find out, okay, who is this person and how do they fit into who we've already talked to at this organization? And it ends up being one of two things, right? It's either somebody who is on the team that you've already engaged with. They're just another person on the org chart that you need to figure out where they fit in. Or with bigger orgs, it's another division of the company that just maybe doesn't even know that they have another, you know, they have a, a coworker from some other office that's already engaged you. And so that ticks off a whole different sales process where you can, from call one, you can be like, hey, did you know we're already doing this with this division over here? You know, can we talk about what we're already doing there? And you can circumvent a huge chunk of the sales process if that's the case. So I'm looking at a, a workflow map. Yeah, it's got swim lanes on it. Each lane is a different department in the organization. I've got sales. I've got inside sales. I've got customer service. I've got marketing for swim lanes. And, and I mapped out the sales process from the, the email or the, uh, you know, the webinar download or the pricing request all the way through to the sale. And I can see that all these four different departments participate in the sale of my products, right? Um, you know, I'm sort of looking at it as handoffs, right? So if something happens in marketing, then it gets handed off to inside sales, gets handed off to outside sales, then it gets handed off to uh, customer service to, to fulfill, right? And I'm going to sort of manage the process with these different departments living together but apart in silos, right? And now I want to align them. I want to reorganize the team as one revenue engine, uh, you know, focused on exceeding customer expectations. Um, is there a way that I could use data to convince leadership to invest in that cross-functional collaboration? 
Yeah, you, when we come into circumstances like that, the the best thing you can do to sell is just talk about the value of after it's done, like what can happen. Um, for example, uh, we work with a uh, an insurance organization that is it's sort of set up like a franchise thing where you have these divisional offices all over the place, and then there's the one mothership brand that also has their own marketing team, and what we were able to do is go into one of these regional offices and do a bunch of SEO projects and a few other uh, campaigns that we proved were successful. And then we were able to go back to management and say, look, we did this within this one division. If you were to have your system set up so that the same data flowed throughout the whole org, you know, you could generate another 30 million per year just on the efficiency of, of what's going on by not having to duplicate efforts or, you know, and the, the classic one is just like you talked about with the swim lanes. The problem is if there's a handoff where the lead just gets tossed over the wall and it needs to be triaged again, even as far as like what needs to be done at the other end of the spectrum, what you would have is where um, a customer service person has engaged and they realize that this person needs, you know, the next version or an upgrade and that gets pushed over to their sales rep and it comes along with a whole message of, okay, here's where the customer's at because they have this problem. We definitely want to upsell this new service here. You know, go ahead and make this happen. That's a whole different way of doing business. And it's, you know, it's finally kind of reaching that one unified view of the customer that crosses all the swim lanes. So you're saying that you guys work mostly with marketing for us, yeah, that's the, you know, we have our roots in PR and um, Chris Penn had done a lot of email marketing prior to, to getting the company formed. And for us, yeah, the, those are the people that know us most. So that's where we get our leads from are just people who are already doing marketing campaigns and want to find out how well those are doing, pushing the sales cycle along. So that's the most common part of it. We do have, um, uh, we have a number of customers, it's interesting, in the trucking industry who have call centers and they like to have their call center data evaluated. That's another uh, neat project where, you know, we have 30,000 calls. We use AI to transcribe them, and then we run it through machine learning so we can surface what the most common questions or problems are, and so then they can create more self-service stuff. But, yeah, marketing is the, the you know, kind of the primary source for us just because that's where we've always played. Are you um, guys using uh, Gong, IO, or Chorus, or any of these uh, tools for analyzing calls? You know, that's a huge market. And no, we don't, um, you know, our sales cycle is, is so kind of individualized. We're not at that point where we have 10 reps, you know, pounding away on the phone. But yeah, it's just amazing some of those services, how, you know, you get the transcript, you can actually even see, have the call uh, points in the call mapped out. It's like, okay, here's where key topics came up or here was where the engagement, you know, wasn't at the rate it was supposed to be doing. Yeah, there's some amazing technologies on that front, but we're uh, we're not at that point yet as far as having a a call center where we could put that to work. So let's let's role play because we know that if we want to improve a sales process, we, it has to be replicable, uh, to be measurable, and and we can't optimize it if we can't measure it. So let's say, uh, you know, you come into my organization and I'm going to have you figure out, give me closed loop reporting so that I can figure out each piece, uh, how each piece of my company interacts with technology and customers to map, map the journey and figure out, you know, where the holes are and where things are working out. How does that process go? How, let's, let's role play it. 
John, we're so glad we hired you. Uh, what do we do? Right. And so, you know, we start with what analytics system have you got up in place and looking at the goals um, you know, that are set so up and say, are being tracked. Let me answer. Let me answer. So I've got a CRM in place that has data. I have a sales enablement platform, like a sales loft or a, an outreach IO or something like that. I've got, you know, a data service provider like a discover.org and, um, I've got marketing automation. I got Marketo or Pardot or something like that. That's my stack. Um, I don't have the data integrated. They're all, all the data from each, you know, platform is in that platform, and I want to bring it all together and measure it against revenue. What do I do? Yeah, it, again, is to pick the system of record for, for goal tracking. Uh, you know, if you are already doing that in CRM, that's where you would want to get started over there. We would look at the goals you know, close deals that they hit, the value of those deals, and start to pull the history on all those leads and, well, all those contacts and then before when they were leads so you can see where they're coming from, how long it takes them to get there and how much you have to spend to get them along that pipe. Um, a lot of our customers will do that stuff more tied to their web analytics. They'll be dumping web analytics into either, uh, uh, you know, uh, its own data lake or something where they can just kind of run cross queries across every data source. But yeah, just mapping out that whole model of, okay, when they hit the checkpoint, how long have they been in? How much money did it take to get them there? And then start working backwards along uh, which campaigns they were part of to see which ones are the most effective and which ones have to be in the chain. Um, kind of back solving for that whole map at least gets you an accurate picture of what's going on as far as where they're coming from and how much it costs. Uh, and then, you know, once you get to that point, you, you start with the experimentation of, you know, where do we want to start tweaking this path? And, you know, can we get it shorter? Can we get the campaigns to be bringing in more earlier? Uh, can we do things to get things to close when they get further down in the pipe? You know, what does the stuff that close have in common with, uh, amongst themselves, that is if we can find better indicators of when stuff is going to close. Um, but yeah, it's a very organic thing. You know, you really have to just kind of go in and see how what systems are there, how well is the data flowing, and then what are the results, and then start experimenting. What about any of these, like you know, middleware um, analytics packages, like uh, visible or lean data? Impact. I mean, do you ever do you ever go in and get those set up, and do you have a preference of, you know, which analytics package you like best? You know, we don't uh, have a, a kind of any middleware preferences again because we're trying to either get everything uh, over to to BigQuery or an Oracle or somewhere where we can just run the whole thing. Um, yeah, the middleware stuff can be kind of a, a challenge because it's either you know, you're buying one that has the integrations off the rack, and so in that case, you're going to have to see if it does plug into everything, or you have to assign somebody to it full-time to build out the stuff that takes more work to get connected. Um, so, yeah, we tend not to get involved with that. Usually, the client has to figure that out for themselves. And the other thing with that is most of the time, if they're going to do that route, they're going to want it to plug it into accounting too and into HR and, you know, areas where we usually don't get involved. They usually don't extend you know, our view as it's not, there's not a customer directly involved, but they still need that additional integration. So they keep all that in house. 
so in the scenario that we started with, where I have this stack and I've got all this data and it's in different <coughs> uh, tools that I'm using <coughs> in different departments, and I want to try to sort of you know bring it all together so I can I can see what's happening in context. Um, you know, what are we looking at in terms of time to implement some sort of lead to revenue tracking? You know, report. Yeah, I mean that's that can be all over the place. I mean, at the the low end of the spectrum, we'll go into a company that already has Google Analytics and their goals, you know, working, and it's you know in three hours we can run a report and give them a picture. But then, of course, it's a matter of okay, is the picture accurate? You know, does it match their gut? And then start to validate the thing. And then, you know, worst case scenario is they've got you know CRM and marketing automation and. Um, you know, a couple other systems too, where just the integrations aren't working properly and it can take months just to get the data flowing the way they want it to. I mean, it's not uncommon for us to have customers, you know, not be able to get it working within a year because it's just not a priority. That's the price. If you don't have it set up and already working, you're already looking at a multi-quarter thing and that's just going to push it down on the priority list for, for bigger orgs unless they have the vision to fix the problem. Well, that's that sort of gets us back to the whole John Henry story, right? Um, you know, as we as we discussed, I think uh, it was in in our first episode, we talked about you know the legend of John Henry, and uh, you know this is the the hammer swinging folk hero whose physical strength was tested in a race against a steam powered rock drilling machine, and he wins the race, but he dies hammer in hand. And you think about like pursuing a long term effort like integrating all the data from, you know, your automation packages and your, your sales enablement package, bringing that all together, you know, if it's going to take longer than 90 days, you know, how do you convince leadership that, you know, it, it makes sense to do this instead of focusing on the short-term work like the quarterly sales? Because they're going to be thinking, well, if I take sales guys or marketing guys off of what they're doing to sell, you know, off of off of swinging their hammer manually, um, so that I can get this closest reporting in place. I'm not going to hit my quarterly numbers, but then in the long term, I'm probably not going to die hammer in hand. How do you, how do you how do you make that? How do you sell that deal? Yeah, the most common way we get around that is it's just you start with small projects and experiments and try and fix the problem just at one point, you know, so um, you know, we have a client that's Facebook ads. They know for a fact that the Facebook ad campaigns do work, so they want to optimize them. And so any optimization that you can do just on that one project does pay off during the same quarter. And it starts to plant the seeds of like, okay, you know, you need to be able to get this data. You know, we've done it from Facebook. Now let's look at some of your other ad channels. Let's see if we can't connect those together. Um, but yeah, you either like I said, they either have the the fortitude and the vision to just jump in with the big project otherwise it's okay let's build this a brick at a time and make sure that we have some quarterly wins so you can at least be sure you're spending your money the right way and hopefully even you know being more effective in making more money with every you know additional system that you loop into the process so um, is that pretty common for you sort of uh, you know starting with some sort of pilot have you ever had an experience where you've been asked to pilot something that you know is going to fail? Oh, that's a good question. Um, something that we know. No, we've never had a situation where it was like, 
Well, no, all right, no, I take that back. Yeah, we have <laughs> clients that have come to us with that because, um, unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, they'll they'll promise the results before they do the testing. You know, there's um, there's organizations that will build up. A, so, an example is we had a company that you know placed their their chip on social. They were like, look, we're going to become the leader in social over the next eight months, and that's what's going to drive the business. And, you know, with no evidence up front that social was the best channel or that they were going to be able to succeed to it. Uh, but then you know, we will come back and build the tracking and, and set up the goals so that they can know definitively if it's working or not. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the where where we can run into challenges with that and with, where people um, come in with the mindset of, oh, you need to prove this is successful, which is not the same as let's find out what's successful. Um, and so, yeah, that that's, can be a, a cultural problem if somebody's already put their bet on a set of systems or results without knowing what actually happens in the real world. What do you do? How do you, how do you sort of upskill them as part of the sales process? Because you know if you go in and you do this gig, you know, they're not going to get the data they need. And you're not going to have a client. Yeah, that's the that is the a, a huge challenge for us, and it happens across the board too. It doesn't even have to be one where it looks sketchy up front. You know, we can have a, a client that's doing well on a bunch of fronts and is asking all the questions, but then six months in, we've armed them with all this additional data, and maybe they don't have the authority or the bandwidth to do the stuff that clearly points in the direction of success. Um, you know, it's, I can't uh, count the number of times that we've gone in to a client and said, look, here's where you need to get these campaigns aligned and tagged, you know, do the work so that you can actually better track the results of these. And it just doesn't make it on their priority list for the quarter and, and doesn't get done. So um, yeah, like a lot of marketing and uh, sales tech projects, you know, unfortunately, it's not a matter of like turning on the switch and all the work goes away. For a lot of these things, it's, you know, you turn on the switch and now you can, you have to do a little bit more work to find out what's working and adjust everything to put those results to work. It's not a, uh, uh, not a matter where it just, you know, push the button and everything takes care of itself. This has been the second part of a three-part interview series with uh, John Wall, partner at Trust Insights. And uh, John, I want to thank you for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Great to be here. We're back with John Wall. Uh, he is a partner at, uh, at Trust Insights. John, tell us a little bit about Trust Insights. Sure, yeah. At Trust Insights, we light up dark data. Um, it's our mission to go in and help organizations learn what data they've got that they haven't been able to either get to at all, or if they have it, they just haven't had the resources to dig into it and see what's there, and ultimately get to the point where they can take action on that data, whether it's you know get the job done faster or get more customers, um, but just to become more profitable by looking into their data set. So, you know, so many B2Bs today are talking about this concept of alignment strategy, you know, aligning sales, marketing, and customer success against uh, client, uh, exceeding client expectations, against uh, revenue attribution. Um, how, could, how could a company use data to break down silos? The, um, so a, a great way that we do this for a lot of our customers is by digging into the 
customer service data set, right? Going back and looking at um, all the calls that have been made into the customer center and where um, folks are going when they're on the service portion of the website or exporting it from like a Zendesk or whatever they're using for ticket management. By mining that data, you can then find out what are the problems and concerns that people have with the product and then you can move that further up the chain so that either the product can just be fixed so that stuff all vanishes or you can find cross-sell opportunities. You know, you can find things that if these customers had bought, you know, whatever else was available, more services or different modules or whatever, and then you can use that to feed the sales machine so that they're actually, you know, getting some actionable information on existing customers, which are, the, you know, the easiest and most profitable people to sell to if you've already got them in the serve. Uh, the system, and you're just making the change of actually listening to what they're telling your customer service reps, um, and not just on a a single um, call basis, but by using data mining to go in and bundle that up to see out of the 30,000 calls, you know, what are the 800 most important ones that you can act on. You know, there's this um, really cool book called Improving Sales and Marketing Collaboration by Avinash Malshe, and in it, he created this model four basic sales marketing configurations that he found at companies. You know, how are, how are these two departments working together? And he sort of put them into, in the model, he sort of says there's four ways that marketing and sales works together at a company. The first he calls hidden marketing. And this is a company where there's sort of a lack of a formal marketing process. And maybe marketing is handled by the CEO or the sales leader. But, you know, there's no one driving the marketing and um, the second one he called sales-driven marketing, and this is kind of, you know, marketing reports to sales, and sales has sole responsibility for customer relationships and doesn't really share any information, you know, back with marketing, so trade marketing can overstep their bounds, and things up. Um, that was two. Three, he called companies that are living apart from he said, these are guys that have a mature sales group, they have a mature marketing team, uh, but they're, they're operating mostly in the company, mostly in software. And then, you know, four, sort of the top of the summit, was um, this idea of an aligned company. And he said, you know, at an aligned company, sales and marketing team, do collaboration as essential for day to day work share responsibility for all aspects of revenue growth, including marketing plans, customer profiles, personas, templatized sales enablement communications, everything. Personalization strategy, default taking, you name it, they're working together on a day-to-day basis. When you think about the companies you work for, where would you say most of them are? And I'll review them for you again. The first is hidden marketing, lack of any formal marketing process. Second is sales marketing, marketing under some sales. The third is, you know, living apart together. Mature sales and marketing, but, you know, different departments with different VPs or people guiding them. And then the last aligned, which truly collaborative day-to-day working together. Yeah, I think, you know, for, for our customers, it's pretty much the middle two. You know, it's either there's always some formal marketing uh, strategy for our customers. You know, they're doing campaigns or trying to get something going, but it is the full gamut from 
they do a campaign and they just throw the spreadsheet list over the wall to the sales guys um, up to the other end where, you know, they're throwing it over the wall, the salespeople, but then they go over and meet with them and say, okay, here's why they're here. Here's the related resources that they may be requesting after this. And, you know, there, there's more that can be done on that front. And then, yeah, I think it's, it's very rare that you get a fully aligned org. Um, th- those are kind of the unicorns. I think for those organizations, you either have to have people who have done both the sales and marketing function and they know both of them so they can see how those overlap um, or it just has to be an older organization you know, that's been around long enough that, that it gets so established. But yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, I don't know. I've, I've never found a company that couldn't do a better job of getting the sales and marketing uh, aligned and, and become more effective. Now, who do you guys work with? What, your customers are sales or marketing primarily? Yeah, most commonly it's either a, a marketing leader or somebody that's just in charge of revenue, you know, that has hands over both sales and marketing. But it's always uh, somebody that has generated a bunch of data, usually from marketing campaigns, sometimes from sales activities, and wants to get the bottom of, you know, of the 20 things we were doing, what are the five that we want to spend more of our time on or we can dump more money into? So if I'm the marketing guy and I've hired trust insights to map out my customer journey so that I know what's working and what's not, and I say to you, John, I really need help convincing sales to get behind us. How can you help me? Yeah, I think, you know, in the best scenarios, you don't have to convince sales because you just want to start throwing them more qualified and better leads. You can bring them into the loop as far as saying, look, here's a program that we're starting to do and we're working with this other firm. And so you're going to be getting some different leads and you'll be getting probably more information about who they are, you know, as they show up on your front door. Um, But, you know, yeah, in the, in the best run programs, you don't even tell them that it's happening. You just start giving them higher quality leads and yeah. And maybe they notice it. You know, sales guys, um, when they see more leads coming in and closing, they normally are just going to take credit for that themselves, that they're doing a better job selling. But uh, you can at least show on paper that, hey, you know, the ones from these campaigns have been closing at a higher rate or a better dollar volume. Uh, and you can you can show it after the fact. Um, but yeah, unless you're getting, unless you, your product is not rock solid, you can kind of keep sales out of it. But if you do have issues with the product, then you definitely loop in sales and you're going to want to be sitting in on all the calls and, uh, you know, getting a better map of, okay, why don't we have a fit here? Like why are, you know, there's got to be a reason why things aren't closing. It's because the product doesn't go far enough. It's too difficult. It's, you know, the language is wrong. And if you need to tighten down product, then yeah, you've got to have sales on board. Let's say, you know, as a marketer, I have a hunch that, you know, the drop-off point between, you know, lead qualification and sale has to do with a, um, a message fracture between what I, the marketing department, am telling these guys to see them up and what, what sales is telling them when they, you know, try to sort of get them over the hurdle. Um, and I say to you, hey, I really need help getting sales on the same page. Right now, you know, they're not using my template. They're not using um, you know, the personalization strategy I have for them to go out there and scale the process. So, you know, the sequence is not replicable. It's not repeatable. Ad hoc. I can't improve things until I can get these guys on the same page as me. 
I need data to prove to them that they should march in the direction I'm saying. Is there anything you can do to help? Yeah, to get that done. There's a couple different approaches to that. Um, you know, one is to look at the stuff that the sales team is already doing and just automate or improve things that they're already using. So that's, that's an easy sell where instead of saying, hey, you know, jump to this new template over here, just say, okay, here's your existing template, but now we've got it that's going to pre-populate, you know, paragraph two and four based on what we've known, you know, because they attended this webinar or whatever. Um, and then the other one too is to uh, dive into the sales team and pick out the champions. You know, on every sales team, you're going to have kind of the sales reps that just do what they do and don't want to ever change anything versus you'll have some sales folks who are willing to try different things and experiment and you, you know, start working with the more flexible people. Um, and there's different strategies on that. You know, some people will take the highest performance flexible salespeople. Others will start in the middle of the pack because sometimes you can show a lot more dramatic results if you get a middle of the pack sales performer who wants to try a lot of new things. That's when, you know, sometimes you can really hit on a breakthrough where you can, you know, double or triple their productivity. And that's the kind of stuff that everybody gets excited about. B2Bs are, uh, you know, selling higher ticket items. There's a sales cycle, there's a committee involved in the decision-making process. Um, and, and typically when you're selling, uh, you know, a more, when it's a more involved complex sale, uh, it's, you know, you, re- you need more information to get people over the hurdle. And so, you know, the, the, uh, the templates are longer, the information's more involved. Um, but if it isn't working, how do you pinpoint the part of the language that's failing? How do you know what to change? Is there any science that you can use, data science that you can use to evaluate, I don't know, a, a 600 character, uh, you know, uh, uh, sales letter and tell me what's working, what's not, when do they stop reading? Is there any way to do that? There's not much you can do on that front because you, you've got two possible problems too with that that you have to break apart. So one is that it's a product problem. You know, it, it's a complicated sale because the product has a lot of stuff. You need to have 20 conversations before you can even determine if it's going to work for them. And then at the other side is, um, is it the sales process? You know, does, does your product need to be committee proof? You know, is the fact that um, because you know, your champion and the accountant and the lawyer and, you know, four other people have to be involved for five or six emails. Is that why it's complicated? And, and so you have, you got a, a split there amongst the two of, um, you know, is it the sales process problem or is it a product problem? And then, yeah, at that point, you really don't have enough data, you know, to go unless you're doing like 30 deals like that a month, you just aren't going to have enough data to give you any kind of statistically relevant thing. The only thing close to that that we've done that's related is you can, you know, you can take all of the language and run it through other advertising channels. You know, if you can get like a basic message and throw it into a Facebook campaign where you can run it thousands of times a day, you can find phrases and terms that work better than the others you know, things that are just kind of more catching and more hook. But yeah, for the most part, in a real complicated sale, you just, you don't have enough wins and losses and at-bats to be able to run machine learning against it. Have you uh, seen an experience where uh, data wound up, you know, 
gutting uh, a department. Like, you know, um, the, the data was presented and a department lost responsibility for something that was key to what they do, mostly because of politics or because of personalities. Yeah, well, as we had mentioned previously about, uh, you know, departments that have kind of staked everything they do by saying that we know that this channel is the best way to go. Uh, and then the data just comes back and says, well, no, you know, you're getting 40% of your business from this other channel. And, you know, there's no statistical proof that what you're doing on that front is doing anything. So, yeah, it can come down to it. And, yeah, the recurring theme for that is always uh, an executive that is always just pushing for the best customer experience can survive. Whereas anybody that latches their career onto a single channel, then you're at the mercy of that channel. You know, in the big picture, we see that with social now, you know, you used to be able to get great results from social. And now that everything is pay for play, you know, people aren't as interested in hiring a social manager unless they're going to put an advertising budget behind that to make it work. You know, whoever's riding with the channel is going to die with the channel. In B2B, uh, when you look at um, you know traffic sources, uh, it, you know what what percentage um, of of you know conversions is coming from from social these days? Oh, it's tiny. And so yeah, this is an interesting fact. But from across the board, as we look at all B two B companies, we tend to see just an over reliance on organic Google. You know, it, in better companies, they're getting twenty percent of their, their pipe from Google, and in worst cases, it's upwards to 60%. <clears throat> and so they basically have, you know, their whole entire budget is riding on organic Google going well, which is fine. You can be doing SEO, but we really push hard for, you know, try and get social. But yeah, even in the best case scenarios, I don't think I've seen a B2B social be more than 12% of the pipe. You know, if you get into double digits, you're doing really well on social. And and even, you get, the thing is, because there is so much organic stuff. If you've got a community that people opt into, you know, the ROI is there at 5%. You know, if you're getting 5% of your deals from social, you're still positive ROI and it's worth doing. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, if you're putting social ahead of SEO, you probably want to go back to the drawing board and, and think about it some more. Are you seeing any uh, B2Bs killing it with um, paid? Um. The thing we always see with that is it's kind of it's an inventory problem in that we have, you know, you're kind of you're crushing it for these four or five really specific terms. Um, but, you know, you're buying everything that they have on those terms and you can't buy more. You know, you're buying everything that's there at a decent price. The biggest mistake. Well, there's two big mistakes. One is if people just kind of throw in to the bloody ocean, you know, if you're trying to score for mortgage or some other term that starts going for four or five hundred bucks a click. Um, that's a, a quick way to get to burn through a huge pile of money. The other one, though, we have had clients. Um, Chris had worked with a client that was actually bidding against themselves. The org was big enough that they had multiple divisions doing ads, and they were actually running up their own bids on the same terms. And so by doing better analysis across the board for the company of the terms that they were shooting for, they were able to better coordinate when they were bidding. And, yeah, they uh, – I, I, I want to say it was somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five million dollars that they were able to get back just by not running up the bidding on themselves. When um, when you go in and you're able to uh, you know get an organization 
closed loop reporting so they can really see how everything they do participates in revenue, you know, takes, drives revenue in some way and contributes to growth. Um, what sort of results have you seen uh, your clients achieve armed with that data? Yeah, it's not uncommon for people to be able to double or triple the performance of single campaigns. You know, for a lot of these things, it's, you know, we knew that that one campaign is bringing in the deals, but they didn't even know that campaigns, you know, five through 10 are effective and they can double their spend on it and double their results or better. Um, And then even usually after a round or two, they're even able to dial things in tighter. So whether it's you know, only advertising or doing social on the months where those terms are most in demand, you can actually better deploy your budget to um, for better payout and where to go. And then there's the the negative side of all the stuff that they've been doing just because it's baked into the bureaucracy. But when you actually go back and look, there's always programs that you can throw overboard because when you finally go back and look at all the data, you realize it's not generating any traffic or results. So you can just stop spending in those segments and reallocate. So yeah, it's not impossible to, to double your budget if you make the right moves. And if there's just opportunity out there that's missed. You know, this has been uh, this is the third of a of a three part um, series that we've we've done with with John Wall. Um, so if you didn't hear uh, the other two episodes, definitely download this as well. Uh, John, let's say you know I've got Google Analytics, I've got Google Tag Manager, I've got social media analytics, I've got you know SEO marketing content, and I want some sort of you know tech stack audit. Uh, what what do I do? Yeah, but that's, <laughs> Trusted Sites can help you out with that. Um, it, really, the thing to do is, you know, once you've got all that stuff up and running, is to close the loop as far as, okay, is all the data that's generated on the customer getting passed to the central point, and are all the um, milestones and checkpoints firing as they go through the process? Um, because you know, it doesn't matter if you've got all the systems there, if you can't get the data shared across the board, or if the bell is not ringing every time a milestone is hit, then your, you know, your results are always going to be questioned. Um, so that's really the, the, the first part of it is just, okay, we know what the best practices are for all of these systems. Do you have them in place and is it running for you? Um, and then after that, uh, as you evaluate all the campaigns, you can start to cherry pick which ones you think if you experiment with will get you the best results. You know, it's kind of like we already know these campaigns drive a ton of business. So let's experiment over there. If we double down on what we're doing there, can we, you know, squeeze another 40, 50% out of that? Um, so yeah, first get the infrastructure great, validate that it's all working and then start the experimentation. Okay. And um, you said this is something you guys do. Yeah, that's a, it's pretty common for us to uh, you know come in and just do a, a half day virtual session where we uh, you know ahead of time they give us logins and access to most of the data so we can come in with a batch of questions like okay you know what happened to these programs why are they working why are they not working and usually of course you find gaps too of like okay well we had these leads that did these programs why are they not showing up in these reports or why did they not get handed to sales. Um, but yeah, just kind of making a first crack at mapping out that digital customer journey usually also surfaces the infrastructure questions that uh, come to the top for an audit. John Wall, partner at Trust Insights. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.